0: The No Tap is live for Wednesday. It is July 12th. We're gonna be talking about the Packers' defensive positional rankings. We did the offense yesterday. We're going to do the defense today. I'm gonna to give you five thoughts on the All Star game. I have a litany of things that I want to talk about regarding the All Star game, and then lastly. Well, i talk about if the Bucks are going to head into the season overrated, underrated, not overrated, underrated. Uh, John Horse had an interview with Eric Name uh, on Monday. I want to talk a little bit about that, but in the construct of are they actually going to come into the year underrated? I think there is a thought for that, and I will explain why uh, later in the show. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, on Spotify, in the Keg Sports, also uh, Overcast, Good Pods, wherever else you are able to get your podcast. We are there. You can also uh, leave a review, leave a rating, drop this in the group chat, any which way to help support uh, what we have going on today. I would really appreciate that. And then for social media, if you're not already following, we're on Twitter, TabintheKag, TabintheKag Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. We are on threads at that same account, but I have not posted anything in a long time. So I, I the threads thing, man, I told you guys I was a little, little leery, a little hesitant of, of it all. And part of that is due to the fact that I was just like, there's three things we got to keep up with. Keeping up with the 4th is really hard. So I will try to post more on threads next week. Um, I'm not going to commit it to this week because I'm going to be pretty much out of the office uh, starting uh, Thursday afternoon. Mitch and I will have a podcast tomorrow. Uh, We then will not have a show on Friday. I'll have a show Monday. I will probably be as hungover as humanly possible for that show. But we will have a show on Monday uh, recapping Brewers and Reds again. And anything else that were to happen over the next four days. If the Bucs were to make a trade uh, on Friday or Thursday for some reason, I am with Mitch. So if we need to fire up an emergency pod, we'll see. Maybe we would. But I I highly doubt it because we are going to be significantly in our cups. I'm sure we'll talk about it um, on tomorrow's podcast a little bit more. All right, let's get into it and talk about the Green Bay Packers defense. So Green Bay Packers defense has had a lot of haters uh, over the last couple of years. And it it is for good reason, right? Uh, The Green Bay Packers have probably not played to their potential. And you can pass the blame game around to a lot of people. But Green Bay Packers fans, for the most part, talk about it as Joe Barry is a failure of a coach. Everybody wanted Joe Barry fired at some point last season. I was leading that charge myself. I'm not usually a quick trigger on firing a coach, but I felt like Joe Barry you know, needed to go. I felt like he had sort of ran his course. I know Joe Barry fixed some things down the stretch, but I still did not think that it was enough for Joe Barry to keep his job, especially when there was very talented personnel available that, w- that the Packers could have had as their D coordinator. Whether it was Brian Flores, whether it was Elijah Aervro, whether it was Steve Wilkes, whether it was a few others that are now defensive coordinators, Jim Leonard, another name. Now, Leonard did not take a job. He ended up getting hip surgery, and Leonard will be back next season, which I think is worth putting a pin in, and Leonard may end up being the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator in 2024 when it's all said and done. But Matt LaFleur is riding for his guy. Matt LaFleur is standing on the table for Joe Barry. And it is a massive risk. And it is a storyline for next season uh, that we'll probably talk about ad nauseum as we get closer and closer to Green Bay's first game against the Chicago Bears. But let's rank this defense because there are some good positions on this team. There are some that I'm a little unsure about. There's some that I feel like it could be either or. Starting with the cornerback position, I think that is an easy 1-1 here. Jair Alexander kicks things off, and Jair Alexander really came out strong at the end of last year. When Joe Barry switched his defense to more of a cover two uh, look, Jair Alexander thrived. Jair Alexander showcased his true talent. Uh, Who could forget what he did to Justin Jefferson later on in the year. I think Jair Alexander has the potential to be very talent, very good for next year and maybe above and beyond what we've seen, right? Not just the Jair Alexander that's good, but sometimes gets forgotten or the one who doesn't necessarily make a lot of plays because he's on an island and people don't notice what Jair Alexander is doing. Uh, I think Jair has a chance to be much more impactful Next year, I'm not going as far as to say he's going to be a defensive player of the year candidate, but I think we saw with Joe Barry's system that Jair Alexander was able to thrive. And I I think you're going to see that again out of the Packers cornerback. Russell Douglas, another corner that I, I think is very talented. I know he did not have the year that I think we all hoped he would have in 2022, but still, a solid year. He was also thrust into action. Remember, he was probably supposed to be the third guy. Eric Stokes goes down with an injury, so there was a lot more reliance on Rasul Douglas. Keshawn Nixon, I felt like had the Rasul Douglas year of of 2022, right, where he not only was awesome on special teams, he was a pretty damn good corner. Like he, that's kind of an underrated part of getting Keshawn Nixon back. Is he was a good depth corner for the Packers and played well in that slot corner position that the Packers really struggled with in 2021 Uh, and then you have Eric Stokes and who knows on Eric Stokes right Eric Stokes could be back early in the year it could take till October it also could take you know time for Eric Stokes to really be fully healthy again he had two injuries it's pretty damn serious so to expect a lot out of Eric Stokes would be a miss I think Eric Stokes is more of a 2024 guy, honestly, but I, I still think that having Eric Stokes on your roster is going to be helpful. Uh, Carrington Valentine, the seventh round pick, I think a lot. there was a lot of hype around Carrington. Now, whether he will get significant time or just be a special teams player, again, the depth of the cornerback position, I think is really important. And I think we'll talk a lot about depth we go through this segment edge rusher is my number two and I I don't know if that's a surprise to people but I really like what the Packers have it at the more I looked at it I was like wow they have a lot here they have a lot of pass rushers that can frustrate an offense Uh, for Sean Gary played all of last year I think it might be our top selection because even with the corners and what uh, the unknown of Stokes, I think, and Douglas sort of taking a step back. I think that's why I might have put Edge at the top if Rashawn Gary played all year. Now, with Rashawn Gary, you know, who knows what you're going to get this season. It's a lesser version of Stokes, right? Uh, I think that Gary will provide something, but I don't know if we can expect him to be this menace from the app, from the get go. Now, some guys, how they respond to ACL tears, they are physical freaks and it really doesn't seem to affect them all that much. Adrian Peterson is the best example of this. Some guys, it, take, it takes a while. And so we have to be patient with Rashawn Gary. I know team play, fans will not, right? That's not how fans work in 2023, but they need to be patient with Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary is not a guy that you could just immediately write down for 15 sacks. Unless he's a freakazoid and superhuman. And he is a big time, you know, muscle guy. So maybe ACL tears don't bother him and he just goes off and be and is awesome all next season. That'd be a great lift for the Packers. Preston Smith is still good. Uh, Preston Smith, I, I don't know if I'd say he's underrated, but I, I think we another guy that gets a little bit forgotten. Uh, Preston has done a really good job for this team He was the Robin to Zedarius' Batman Back in the day Then he kind of took over that Batman role Before Sean Gary Now has assumed it I would put Preston back in that Batman role uh, With Gary coming back from injury And he's a defensive leader, man He is a team captain He's a guy that I think a lot of the young young players uh, rely on Uh, So I really like what Preston Smith not only brings To his defense, but we brings to the locker room. Kingsley Ingin I felt is one of the more underrated Packers. I don't think people understood how good of a year Ingambare had. Remember, he became the starting edge when Rashawn Gary goes out with injury and he was a rookie, a fifth-round pick, and he thrived in what Joe Barry wanted him to do. And I think Ingambare has a chance to have a really solid next season, even with being more of a bench guy because of Gary's injury but I I think he will help Gary ease back in I think the snaps for Sean Gary will not have to be as significant because you have a guy like Ingembara then you have Lucas Van Ness uh first round pick uh he they think he's gonna play right away and Lucas Van Ness you know obviously has the freakazoid stuff that we talked about with Sean Gary a little bit and could make some noise and I'll be curious to see how Joe Barry decides to deploy Van Ness. You know, he was very interesting with rookies last year. Quay Walker played a bunch and played right out the gate. And then Devontae Wyatt barely played. And then it, at the end of the year, it felt like Wyatt should have been playing more and might have helped the Packers defense succeed and win more and helped the team win more games. I don't know if Devontae Wyatt is worth one win, right? But it could have at least contributed to the Packers winning more football games. So... We'll see how he handles Luke Van Ness because I I feel like that's a a different position, again, for rookies. And will Barry be ready to give Van Ness some of the keys, you know, week one? We'll have to see. Moving on to the third position, the third one, which I had trouble. I'll admit, these next two, I had a lot of trouble saying what was three, what was four. I went to defensive line. Kenny Clark is still a monster in the middle. I know Murph, if you've listened to podcasts I've done with uh, our good friend Murph, he's on this that Kenny Clark isn't as good as maybe people think he is. Uh, I just think with Kenny, you don't see it in the box score. I think Kenny does a lot to eat up defenders, create you know opportunities for linebackers. I think Kenny is an underrated port, and I've used underrated a lot uh, because I... Look, I think this defense is is gets disrespected for really no reason, right? I know they've been bad, but I think to act like this defense is Bao Ju and Antoine Edwards and uh, Brad Jones and a bunch of other slapdick players is fucking wrong. It, it is because they have talent. It's just they got to put it all together and let that happen sometimes. That's sports. We see this in so many different you know, avenues, right? Kentucky basketball is a great example. You know, Kentucky basketball has all the fucking talent in the world, but sometimes they can't get it done in March and who knows what, right? So I I think with Kenny Clark, he he gets a little bit disrespected. Uh, Definitely a really solid stalwart to what Green Bay wants to do on that defensive line. I think they added a lot in the draft that you'll see come through and be factors. Corey Woolen, Carl Brooks. Who, I thought Carl Brooks was going to be an edge. Looks like Carl Brooks is going to play on the defensive line, uh, which I'm fine with. I think Carl Brooks is going to excel. I think he's one of the more underrated picks that the Packers did have this season. Uh, TJ Slayton and Devontae Wyatt it can't emerge as guys this year. I think they are you know, two of the ones that you could target and say, who becomes a dude, who becomes a... a maybe not a fan favorite, but a guy who everybody relies on, who we talk in the same platitudes as we do for Kenny Clark or Jair Alexander. I think both Slayton and Wyatt have that opportunity this season. And that would be another reason why you're in on this defensive line is because the starters alone, Clark, Wyatt, and Slayton, are real or have a chance to be very talented and really good, and make it hard to run on the Green Bay Packers for the first time in maybe forever. Um, I will not get my. I will not get too excited. Uh, I will promise you that. I know everybody will probably be like, "Oh, this defense looks good." I actually think if if people talk about the defense looking good in training camp, we might. Have to do a red flag on the on the Green Bay Packer offense like that. That would maybe be a worry on the Green Bay Packer offense that they they were looking that good because I am not sure if if that is a something to be happy about right. Like I I definitely I really worry that if, if they're awesome that maybe this deep maybe this offense stinks. Uh, so but the, the, I will say this too about that is the defense will be far and away more ready for you know training camp than this offense this offense might take a little bit of time so that that could also be part of it number four has been a linebacker I think there's a world where it's third Uh, I worry a little bit about the depth here Uh, if there is an injury so maybe that's why it's fourth it's not necessarily Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker it's more that Isaiah McDuffie Eric Wilson are your backups like uh, that's that doesn't make you feel all that well. No, Chris Barnes. I think he's on the Cowboys now, uh, so they they don't necessarily have that third middle linebacker. But maybe they think Isaiah McDuffie can be that guy. Uh, I do love Campbell and Walker. Uh, Campbell is another leader on this defense. Uh, it, it's, you know people. I think
1: they don't necessarily
0: forget, but they sort of ignored the fact that when Green Bay made their run last year it was when Devontae Campbell came back from injury. And once Devondre Campbell was back from injury, the Packers defense seemed to steady itself a little bit. So I do think that his health is a big storyline this next season. That staying healthy will really help the Packers succeed. I think Quay Walker has every opportunity to be a breakout guy for Green Bay this year. I know Quay had some issues on the field with pushing two personnel. Um, I think he's a little unhinged, but I think that's what you want in a linebacker. I just think he has to bring all of his emotions together. I think Quay can be a blitzer for this Packer team. I think he can be a guy that covers the flats. I really like Quay Walker and I I expect Quay Walker to have kind of a rocket ship year. I I think we could certainly do that about whose stock rises the most um, in the 2023 season. But I, I would be hard-pressed that I think Quay Walker ends up being one of the top selections. Lastly, to round it out is safety. Uh, we already know uh, safety's been a much maligned position for the Green Bay Packers. I think everyone has had their own frustrations with the safety position. No Adrian Amos this year, so that that is a change. Uh, Darno Savage will get a chance to, to play strong safety yet again. Uh, Darnell you know had lost that position last year he's very hungry for a bounce back season Uh, also it's a contract year for Darnell Savage so maybe Darnell Savage comes through and has a really solid year Rudy Ford currently is the is the depth chart free safety number one that will be a battle between him and Jonathan Owens maybe in his gains as well. But Jonathan Owens was a full-time starter for the Houston Texans last year. He was one of their leading tacklers. I think Jonathan Owens has what it takes to be a starting safety in this league. I realize the Texans are sometimes a bad example, right? Because a guy who can start on the Texans can't start on a playoff team so we'll see what happens with that Anthony Johnson while a seventh round pick everybody's very excited about the potential that Anthony Johnson could bring right now he's listed as a strong safety but I think he can play free too so could Anthony Johnson start week one I'd be hard-pressed to expect that out of a uh, Seventh round guy, but you never know. Never know. Football is, is crazy like that. So safety is at the bottom, uh, and that rounds us out. And if you missed the offense yesterday, you can go back and listen to that, uh, which we did for Tuesday's show. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you have your own rankings, hit me up on social, Tabin the Keg on Twitter, Tabin the Keg Sports on Instagram. Let's head over to the All Star game. The All Star Game happened yesterday in Seattle. The National League was able to take home their first All Star Game since 2012. I can't believe it's been that long since the National League has won the All Star Game, but they finally won it. Uh, Elias Diaz hit a two-run homer in the seventh inning to give the National Nash- or eighth inning, pardon me, to give the National League the win. When watching the game, I was like it'd be pretty funny if Elias Diaz hit a home run here and he was the MVP because, A, no one has that, right? If you chose to wager on the All-Star game, uh, no one has that. Uh, I'm sure he wasn't even on the board, probably a field bet, right, uh, for Elias Diaz. But I, I, I you know, it was, it was a good win for the National League and it was certainly... You know something that was a big storyline I don't really know how much it matters I know they were trying to sell it through With John Smoltz and say You know oh yeah you carry pride And you want to win And there was a Dusty Baker story with Pete Rose And I think like the ALNL shit Mattered a lot more when they didn't do Interleague Uh, And you would say well fucking Manfred or whatever But the Interleague's been going on for a long time I know now it's You know there's Interleague every every weekend right you have the Yankees and Rockies playing uh this weekend you, I'm sure you have other matchups worth talking about I think in my opinion they could probably space it out a little bit better and uh, make interleague more of a like every you know there's like a week weekends or you know weeks dedicated to interleague so it everybody's playing it I think that would make it A little more fun and a little more unique instead of it being, you know, just a smattering of interleague. I think White Sox and Braves is this weekend too. Uh that another interleague matchup. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to do that with now playing everybody every every year. I still think that is a great addition, right? Because next year, if we want, you know, as as Brewers fans we can go to Boston. And as Brewers fans we can watch Julio Rodriguez at American Family Field next year. Uh, as Burr fans, the White Sox come to town, so that brings a whole other Chicago revenue uh, next year. I'm trying to think of other examples of either places we could travel, or it does, it doesn't matter. You know, we don't need to go go to Toronto, right? Oh no, Toronto was we were at Toronto. We'll go to Toronto next year. I'm trying to think of other other examples, but yeah, there there are going to be you know. Activities that everybody can participate in And I think that's, you know, part of that experience But anyways, I, I sidetracked Because I, I did have about five things about the All-Star game I did, the energy myself of I didn't really care The NL beat the AL was number one So I, I've, I've cleared that uh, My next one is Shohei Otani getting the Giannis treatment but worse uh, Shout out to my guy Steve on Twitter who mentioned this I've certainly thought about this too that there is a Giannis approach to how ba- how national media covers Shohei Ohtani. They want Shohei Ohtani traded. They want that for the drama of baseball and baseball doesn't have a ton of drama. So how do you infuse drama? You start trade talks. You start random, almost baseless rumors that the Angels are gonna move on from Shohei Ohtani. Uh, the Angels have fallen on hard times. It looked like all right, Shohei Otani is going to have a October this year that we're going to have Shohei Otani as part of the playoff experience. And the Angels have careened off a fucking cliff due to the Mike Trout injury, due to the pitching sort of coming back to earth. And now the Angels find themselves 45 and 46. They're one and nine in their last 10. In terms of the wild card in a very competitive AL, the Angels are currently fifth. They have a run differential of nine. They have fallen off a cliff. And so the question is, can they get themselves back? Can they revive themselves in this next two weeks? And that's why you you're hearing a lot of the Otani talks. That said, I don't know, I do not know if there is a package for Shohei Otani that makes sense. I I really don't, right? Like I, I think you could trade everybody. But it, it's just not worth the risk. And you could call me crazy on that. You could say, well, it's a half a year Otani. There is so much value you can get out of that. But it's, man, it it's so, it's so like, there's so much risk there because you have to win a World Series. Like if you do not win the World Series, this is a bad trade. Because expect or if he doesn't re-sign. If, if you trade all those guys and Otani re-signs and he's part of your core for the next seven to 10 years, then no, it's not a bad signing. But if he doesn't, and it's a rental, and you've given up all these guys and you don't win the World Series, that's that's really tough. So really, really tough to swallow. But yeah, he's getting the honest When Everybody thinks he's going to leave. Everybody wants him to leave. The come to Seattle chance. Uh, I do think that Kumbo is a little bit different than Otani because Giannis, you know, really came from nothing. Uh, Otani doesn't have that. I think there is a bond that Giannis has with Milwaukee. I think Giannis did not necessarily have a hometown. Uh, Obviously, there's Athens, Greece, but Greece, you know, has so many bad memories, I think, for Kumbo. I think Milwaukee, has a lot of his good memories, a lot of the memories that he cherishes, and so I don't think it's one to one, but I can certainly see how people would make that comparison because it's a it's a similar attitude towards these guys. They don't want to talk about their greatness; they just want him on a bigger and better team. Uh, and I I also think baseball, while they do, while they have a lot of national TV games. I think their selection of games can sometimes be lacking, right? And I think this is the problem with like an Apple TV versus an ESPN or a Fox. I think that if you know there was a Friday night game on Fox, right? Like if it was like Friday nights on Fox. I probably wouldn't do that because they have the uh, they have the game on Saturday. But if they're like FS1 Fridays, okay? I know there's an FS1 game usually in the mid afternoon on Saturdays. Why don't you just do FS1 Friday? It's probably because no one will watch. Uh, and that's why they give it to Apple TV as a streaming idea. But try to keep building these guys. Like, I, I think Otani should be on TV once a week if possible. Like, if they're playing a good team. Otani should be in, in the mix, Right but he isn't. And so, and Giannis, that, that happens a little bit sometimes with Antetokounmpo too. Not as much as it more, anymore. Last year, the Bucks were on national TV pretty prominently. And I expect it to be the same this year, you know, because it's a similar team, expected it to contend. But yeah, I, I think that there is a desire to get Otani into an even bigger market, which it, that's the other part where the Giannis Otani thing breaks down is, Anaheim's a bit in the LA market like that. They are the Los Angeles Angels, right? You can't really consider the Angels small market, right? Even if they want to be, they have two of the biggest contracts in baseball. They three. They have Anthony Rendon. That's a massive deal too. Like I, I can't, in good conscience, be like, oh yeah, this is a this is a uh, small market team. Like I, I just can't. Like that's not. That, that that doesn't compute for me, uh, so I, I can't I can't get down with that unfortunately, uh, but yeah I I do think the Otani Giannis comparison there there are some versions of it that that do exist. Other thoughts from this All Star game: I wish the Brewers had some representation. Like I wish we would have seen Corbin Burns or Devin Williams, but given the fact the Brewers just played 17 games in 17 days. I am A-okay with these guys just being there, being bodies and getting a full rest. I know Devin Williams was never scheduled to uh, play in this one. Uh, so that was already agreed upon. Corbin Burns, uh, Tom, Rob Thompson, the gen- the manager, not the general manager, of the Philadelphia Phillies told guys like, hey, we're gonna focus on more first year guys than you know guys who've been there before. And he stuck to that for the most part, except for using his closer instead of Derek Bednar. Although Bednar might have been an all-star last year, but that's here and are there. Uh, will you, I, I still would have, obviously it obviously would have made it a more of a must-watch event, but still cool for the Brewers to have, guys. Still okay with the Brewers getting a lot of rest. It's the first time since 2017 that we have not seen a Brewer come into the all-star game. I don't think that exactly ruins the fan experience, right? But it is it is a little I guess annoying slightly, right? Where you're like, oh, I hope I see one of our guys. Like that's the whole reason you put every, you know, every team in the All-Star game is the hope that they they play. But it it, it happens, right? Um, I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. Like I said, you got big series this weekend against the Reds. The fact that Williams will have, you know, five days of rest that Corbin Burns will be pitching on seven days rest if he were to go on Friday. Now I think there's a, a real convo. Even if he had pitched an any, I still think you could have had the convo about Burns on Friday. It'll be very interesting to see how the Brewers set their lineup, maybe, or set their rotation. We will maybe get that from Craig Council today or certainly tomorrow. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, Orlando Arcia starting an All-Star game is fucking absurd. Uh, easily one of the biggest bag fumbles in David Stearns time. David Stearns gave him away for absolutely nothing. The Braves developed Orlando Arcia into an all-star, into a guy they signed to a long-term deal. Uh, even with the Willie Adonis trade, consi- considering 2022, 2023, I still would have rather had both Arcia and Adamas. Like That was One of your guys, I realize Arcia has a very strong personality. I remember somebody who had season tickets who could look right into the Brewers clubhouse, was like, Arcia was never fucking serious once and just had an attitude that didn't necessarily seem like he was locked in, that he cared more about just the vibes than he did the game. And maybe Atlanta did a good job of reining that in a little bit, or they have a different clubhouse and maybe that was more accepted. But. Yeah, I mean, imagine a world where it's Arcia and Adamas uh, set your second and shortstop, right? Or Arcia playing third base. You know, he, he certainly could have. He played a little outfield, too. Like, could have played left field for just been bit more of a Hernan Perez type. Uh, shout out to that throwback name. But yeah, or- Orlando Arcia not being a member of the Brewers and being a member of, you know, this murderer's row of the Atlanta Braves is crazy to me. And I am very convinced that he'll have an awesome series uh, when the Brewers and Braves play each other for two weeks, two weekends in a row, which will likely take a few years off my life. Uh, Josh Hader pitching doesn't really bring me back to the good old days, if you will. I think Devin Williams helps with that, right? Because we have this awesome closer in Devin Williams. If we were, still, if we were struggling to find closers and the Brewers had lost a bunch of games on blown saves, I think maybe I would yearn for Josh Hader. But I I really don't. Uh, I like what he did for us. Uh, He was awesome to have him as a a player. And it doesn't seem like there's any ill will towards the Brewers. But I'm not really crestfallen that uh, he's not a part of the Brewers organization anymore. I think there are some that are like that. I just don't wring my hands for Josh Hader. Uh, It's just not something that I am like a part of, I, I know there are, are a few who are like, oh, I wish I would add Josh Hader. Or I had a buddy yesterday arguing with me about Hunter Renfro, which is so fucking dumb. Like Hunter, Hunter Renfro, would, would like you have to use some context. Like you have to figure out that like Hunter Renfro was the reason he was available is because the Brewers thought they were at this young outfield that they were gonna roll out. And yes, you, Renfro could have been the winker role, but Renfro, part of Renfro's allure is his defense. So why wouldn't you wanna use his defense out there and not an all time DH? The winker, it that's was the crux. I don't need to recap my arguments on Twitter though. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Cause I, we could do that every day. We could have a, po- we probably could have a podcast Uh, segment Uh, maybe not every day but at least once or twice a week where it's hey Charlie got into a Twitter argument how did how did it end up so now it is time for the second half I wish games started Thursday honestly uh, but we have the Brewers and Reds on Friday night I cannot wait for that I am very excited to see I hope with we're at a bachelor party Mitch and I this weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to tune in uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, I'm sure we'll have it on hungover uh, as we drive home on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely going to be a big series and there will be more talk about the Brewers second half uh, on the podcast tomorrow. Wrapping up today's show with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, John Horst uh, had an interview with Eric Name
1: that I
0: thought was pretty solid. Uh, I felt like we got a lot out of John Horst in that interview. Uh, it was on Monday, it was on The Athletic. If you missed it, if you have a subscription, I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, the overall takeaway I had from John Horst is he feels really good about where the Bucks are. And he feels really good about what the Bucks have built. And that the Bucs didn't necessarily need to completely tear it all down. I think there were a lot of fans that were ready to sell on Drew Holiday. They were ready to sell on Grayson Allen that were ready to sort of shake things up a bit because of the window shutting, it seemed like, after the Miami game. I think John Horse realized his mistake that they were not young enough, that they did not have enough team speed, that they were slow and they were a little old and John Horst has kind of pushed the direction of the Bucs in a different way, right? You have Marjan Beauchamp, you have Andre Jackson Jr. You have uh, even A.J. Green, while maybe not as athletic as those guys, still another young piece of the of the team. Chris Livingston, very raw, but part of sort of that potential youth movement that's building with the Milwaukee Bucks, And I do not think that they have a warrior situation on their hands where there's gonna be guys clamoring for minutes, which is really good. Malik Beasley, another part of that discussion of the Bucks getting seemingly younger. Now, Malik Beasley is gonna contend for a starting spot. It seemed like John Horst made that readily available that the Bucks are going to have that shooting guard position available. And So whether it's Beasley, whether it's Grayson Allen, whether it's Pat Content, I think there's going to be a lot of guys that get that opportunity. Uh, and John Horst also is not really scared of not having a point backup point guard. Now, a lot of Bucks Twitter took that as he's lying uh, that they're, they're going to try to find a backup point guard before it's all said and done. Uh, and that that's going to be part of their 15th man. Right now, they have a full-ass NBA roster. Uh, they do need that 15th man, and whether that's the Nasus Kumbo, whether that is a trade that the Bucs make, uh, we just have to sort of wait and see what the Bucs have in store uh, with that 15th man. And the backup point guard could be Colin Sexton, could be Kevin Porter. I'm not really a Kevin Porter guy just because he to me feels like the ultimate bad stats, good or good stats, bad team guy. Like, like ultimately, like I don't, I could never picture Kevin Porter in a playoff game. I am not in on the Kevin Porter dialogue. I understand that it might be easier to trade with the Houston Rockets than the Utah Jazz. I just, I don't know. I, I think Kevin Porter is not a winning basketball player. I, I and maybe, maybe that's my own bias. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. But I'm not. I'm not in the Kevin Porter market. I will not want to buy shares uh, for Kevin Porter. His numbers actually look better than Saxon. Uh, Archon14 did that on Twitter. But again, you have to take in the intangibles, and I think intangibly, Colin Sexton is much more of a dog than Kevin Porter. But anyways, uh, we'll see if they do move on with a backup point guard, or if they, you know, kind of have a free flowing sort of. I wouldn't go as far as the say position list, but if they, you know, find other ball handlers, if they, you know, if Agent Griffin wants Giannis to do that, if, you know, they, they see something out of Malik Beasley that he's able to sort of at least bring the ball up and, you know, initiate the offense. If they want to use Chris Middleton, right? we talked a little bit about that. Uh, last week with Chris about how he is a guy that has played a little bit of point guard in the past when holidays went out with injury and he did pretty well with it. So maybe that's the thought. I'll be very curious to see how the Bucks sort of attack that backup point guard position. I think the Bucs are cognizant of Drew Holiday's playoff struggles. I've, maybe they weren't, maybe that was a bud thing, who knows, right? And maybe that was Drew you know, sort of saying, no, I got this, I got this and he, he did, needed to sort of take a step back. Uh, but yeah, Drew Holiday, it seems like they are, you know, not necessarily in the market of selling. But again, John Horst can put on a poker face about a lot of this stuff, and it might not necessarily be, you know, what we expect. And then the other topic that I, I wanted to cover, Bucks related, was just the fact that I think there is a chance that the Bucks are Underrated to start the year, and I know that seems wild to probably a lot of people because they were the number one seed in the NBA. They had the to the they have the answer to the Like, how could this team be underrated? Well, I just I look at Zach Lowe's comments, and I know Zach Lowe is a Mike Budenholzer guy. Mike Budenholzer is a friend for Zach, so it's hard for Zach to not showcase his bias uh, there. And I wish he would just acknowledge it. Uh, but he, he won't because no one knows that and no one pays that close attention. But Zach talked about how he got, he went out to dinner a couple times with Mike Holzer, So he has a relationship, right? If you're going out to dinner with somebody, like that's not just like, hey, how are you? That's like, oh, that's a bug. Like that's a little more than just like an acquaintance, right? So anyways, I think that the Bucks running it back is not a red flag. I don't think it's a on-the-clock thing for Giannis Antetokounmpo. It is pretty clear that the Bucs have a two-year championship window. It's pretty clear that the Bucks want to find a reliable number two for Giannis Antetokounmpo after Chris Middleton. That, you know, this might be the end of Chris Middleton. So whether that is MarJon Beauchamp, whether that is Drew Holiday sort of emerging as an offensive threat in the playoffs, whether that is... Somebody else that we're not thinking of, right? Um, maybe it's Andre Jackson. I would highly doubt that, but just throwing it out there as a as an opportunity. I, I don't think that he would be that that far to go to a number two. That's that's intense. I probably shouldn't have even said even have said that that term, right? Uh, but if he's like Draymond, right? If he ends up being the Draymond of of the box, you know, I there were times where Draymond was the number two guy for the Warriors, and he was that important, so. Just if you're using it in that vein, um, maybe Andre Jackson Jr. could be at least in that conversation, right? So the question is, is yeah, what does that new era of the Bucs look like? And you saw new eras of the Spurs and Kawhi came through the Bucs don't necessarily have that Kawhi uh, for Tim Duncan. And that, that'll be the challenge. And I think it's not something that's worth panicking over. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why the Bucks would like to do a trade. And I think if they can't, you have Drew Holiday on an expiring, you have Brooke Lopez on an expiring next year, and that's the time to make a move and say, all right, Giannis, Chris, and then the next version of the number two for Kumbo is probably the way it's going. It's just, you know, going back to that patience conversation, nobody has fucking patience anymore. Everybody's like, oh my God, they need to do this, they need to do this. Yeah, yeah, blow it all up. It's like, you think about where the Bucks are positioned in the Eastern Conference they are probably the best positioned team Boston just lost Marcus Smart and Grant Williams two of their better defenders uh, two of the guys who were more the emotional leaders of this team uh, they just lost both of those guys those guys so who's going to step up and be the Marcus Smart or the Grant Williams of the Celtics next year is it going to be Tatum is it going to be Chris Stapps Porzingis probably not Uh, Is it going to be somebody else we're not thinking of? Is it going to be Jordan Walsh as a rookie? I don't, oh, Walsh, excuse me. I don't think so. The other Philadelphia 76ers, Harden wants out. Harden doesn't want to be a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. Some people think Harden can come back. And if Harden does, then yeah, that Sixers team is pretty solid. But again, then the question is, how are they going to work with Nick Nurse? Nick Nurse is a micromanager. He's much different than Doc Rivers. Is that going to wear out Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid is a sensitive guy, a guy who takes things a little too seriously. Is he going to be able to deal with an asshole like Nick Nurse? He can say he is now, but when the chips are down and he gets motherfucked by Nick Nurse, is Joel Embiid actually going to take that? Then you have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are a young, talented team, but I think they have one of the worst coaches in the Eastern Conference. Jamie Bickerstaff was completely clueless in the playoffs last year. Had Had they went out and fired Bickerstaff and hired Mike Boonholzer, I would be a touch more worried about the Cleveland Cavaliers or Monty Williams or anybody else. I, I would have been a lot more concerned that the Cavs could take another leap. But I just, I'm not exactly sold. They felt like they paid too much for a guy like for Max Struess. Uh, I think Karis LeVert's just okay. I think actually Karis LeVert hurts them versus helps them. I just don't buy the Cavs just suddenly figuring it all out. And then New York Knicks, you know, they, the Villanova story is fun. It's going to be beaten into the goddamn ground because it's the Knicks, but are the Knicks really, you know, ready to take that next step? Is that, is Dante DiVincenzo and a full year Josh Hart enough? And as my guy Dan Mosh points out, like, this is a team that blew a 16-point lead to Steve Wojciechowski's Marquette Golden Eagles. Like, how how serious can you take them? Just a little food for thought there. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I'm not, not ready to just be like, oh yeah, the Bucks aren't, you know, the out of that combination of guys. And yes, the question marks for the Bucs can be, is Chris can Chris Middleton return the form? Is Drew Holiday a playoff performer? Can Brook Lopez emulate? Like we could do the same sort of wit discussion with the Bucks, but I feel like those are not at the level that we have with the other teams in the East. So my larger point, and maybe I should have done this as a Top segment, and not buried it at the end of a show, is the Bucs are more well positioned than the rest of the Eastern Conference. So this idea that there should be panic within the Bucs organization or as a Bucs fan is fucking stupid. So that's that's what I got for you. A uh, little longer. I, I'm, a, I'm a little annoyed that I left this at the end because I, I liked like how it turned out, but that that's that's the business, baby. Uh, so anyways. Back tomorrow with Mitch. Uh, we'll talk Brewers. I'm sure, we'll talk. A little, I I didn't do any books summer league on purpose. I kind of wanted to get what Mitch had thought about what he's seen uh, and you know how he feels you know heading into the last summer game of the year, summer league game before like the playoffs over the weekend. So we'll uh, we'll chat about that and I'm sure much more. All right, take care, guys. Have a great Wednesday. Back tomorrow. See you. Bye.